This is Corey Gray and Tony Stewart from Hairdistry. Thank you for tuning in to the Hairdressers Podcast. Now here's a word from our sponsors. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Successful businesses are the sum of their parts. That's why we often say that Schedulicity owes everything to one stylist, one esthetician, one barber, one yoga instructor. As each one of them has grown their business, our scheduling platform has grown with them. We're pledging now to give more than $250,000 to service providers. It will go straight to the pockets of the people we love most, the ones who built us and who we're all looking forward to seeing again soon. Hello, everyone. My name is Jerry Natuno, CEO and founder of Schedulicity, and we're proud to bring you this amazing podcast. Welcome to your day off. My name is Corey. And of course, I'm sitting with my best friend, Tony. What's up, buddy? What's going on, brother? I wish I was sitting next to you. Me too, but you can stay over there today. Yeah. Uh, fortunately, uh, I've been exposed. So yeah. even though I tested negative, I'm not out of the clear because uh, I have to wait three or four days, five days to see if I develop anything. But my son-in-law was tested positive. So um, you know, I was around him on, I guess, you know, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and he got tested Sunday and he was positive. So, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, I can dodge the bullet, but (laughs) I hope so, man. I hope for all of you guys, but I know it's incredibly stressful because, you know, we just went through that back in January and, you know, your family's sick and, uh, and, you know, it's just the, it's the stress of it all, which is the worst bits of it. It's not even necessarily, you know, what's going on, but it's just the stress of what could happen or what could be going on. Which is which is stressful, but but hey, you listen, you know we're uh, a little bit. I'm lean on you, just like I'm gonna appreciate uh, any advice or anything that you guys did to get through it, and you know to because you know it is what it is, and you know I appreciate uh, my homie helping. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> well, you just yeah, that's it, man. Well, we'll we'll talk about that, uh, you know, after after podcast. Um, so today we have kind of a special guest, man. So uh, this is definitely someone that's been uh, like in our in our on our radar for for quite a while, and for whatever reason it just didn't happen. But um, after we talked to Megan Gentz a couple of weeks ago, you know, it kind of like it, it it raised up the priority and it raised up the awareness of like we need to get this artist on. Yeah, and I, I'm glad that you reached out and she accepted and not saying, who who are these goons, you know? <laughs> I'm sure she's saying, who are these goons? I'm positive of that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I mean, we are goons, you know? So, <laughs> or what What do Robert Chromians call us? A bunch of construction workers? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we did kind of look like construction workers showing up at his, at his salon or where he was, you know? Yeah, no, well, we still are. We're still construction workers. So, um, so yeah, so our guest today is like, dude, there's no way that you can talk about like up hair, up dudes, wedding hair, uh, formal hair without this person being front of mind. Dude. Yeah. If, 
if you don't know who she is, make sure you go check her out after this because you're going to be blown away by some of the stuff that she's able to do. Yeah, there's no doubt. There's like she she's kind of like the I don't know I don't I don't a trendsetter, but she is a trendsetter. And and I think too, like if you're like an updo artist or if you're like a wedding artist, I think like if they bring you one of her pictures, you're a little bit like, oh no, what am I going to do now? <laughs> right? Because right, like, yeah, <laughs> like I have a rule, like I have a rule in my chair, like if you want Vivid's hair, you're not allowed to bring Presley Poe's pictures in, right? Because <laughs> it's just like it's like beyond like what I can even conceptualize, right? And, and I would well, I'm going to let the cat out of the bag. So today our guest is Lala from Lala. Updos, I think that's her Instagram. She'll let us know. But um, but I would imagine that like when people bring in Lala's pictures to her weddings, they're all like, "Oh no, now what?" Right. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully, they have a few, and they'll, they'll probably lean towards something else, right? Something a little bit, maybe a little bit more not as yeah. uh, as hard that, and detailed. That, that, that's when, as, as an updo artist, that's when you're, you you kind of you you got to get really good at, at verbiage. Yeah, that's really good, but you know maybe we should do something. <laughs> we use that feel. How many times have we used that? Yeah, right. that's the feel. You know, that's the feel that we'll go with, but just yeah. don't hold me to just don't hold me to that shape. <laughs> yeah, we'll change the details a little bit. You know, <laughs> exactly. That's so funny. So, uh, um, I'm sure we'll get into that. So, anyways, we're really excited to have Lalo on, on the podcast. Like I said, she's been on our radar for, for for quite a few years, and 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 after talking to Megan and Megan brought her up a couple of weeks ago, we're like, man, we got to get that. We got to close that door, bro. We got to close that door. So we have to open the door before we can close the door. So today. Today's the opening of the door, um, and, uh, you know, that's it. I don't know. Should we get in? Yeah. Hopefully it doesn't close too much because, you know, it could be another podcast or two in the future. Yeah, I just meant, you know, close the door of reaching out and connecting with her. But no, no, we never we never close doors, man. We we our doors are always open to friendships, you know? True. So we'll do that. So, Miss Lala, and I'm going to try this, Kihaya, welcome to your day off. Did I get it right? You definitely got it right. And you actually pronounce it so well you sound like a romanian oh, yes. <laughs> see tony see i don't always mess it up i was looking forward to busting on your balls man but i can't do it man you did a good job brother awesome well thank you so much for having me guys and um to be honest with you um i get that a lot what you just mentioned that people say I, you have no idea how many people brought your pictures to my chair and I love it when they do it because I don't have to scratch my head and wonder how it's done because I know you always have a tutorial for it there. So uh, <laughs> it's awesome. actually not that bad as you guys think it is because I was very generous to sharing my my knowledge with people for years now. And people um, are not scratching their heads when they see a picture of mine. They're actually happy because they know this is an artist that is general, generously offering the how-to on everything that she's posting. But, you know, Lala, come on. Like, you you can do, like, all the tutorials in the world, but there's still, there's still like, the magic in the hands, right? Like, like to watch your hands work or to watch, like, Sam Via's hands work, like, I still, like, look all weird and awkward when I, when I try to pick up the hair there. Um... That's true. I mean, you need to have a little bit of, of creativity and, and experience in those hands in order to, to achieve those styles. And, and um, I think that the reason my, my career took off in such a short period of time, because there are artists out there who have been platform educators, you know, and um, artists that have been supported by the big brands. And eventually they transition to being an independent educator and they become known by starting as a platform um, educator or artist, you know, and I think the reason mine took off so, so 
rapidly in such a short period of time because my career in the bridal industry started only in 2015. So that's only six years ago. Um, it was the fact that I was, you know, coming up with something new all the time, something that was not seen on the market. And uh, and the fact that I was sharing how to do those styles and, and how to simplify them and how to achieve, uh, you know, very complicated looks that actually are achieved through a very easy technique. I think that was the reason my my account grew so much and my my name got known because I had the tendency to simplify everything and make people fall in love with with upstyling. Well, that I mean, without following any of the the old rules, right? I mean, that's that that's that's the key to a great educator, right? Is to be able to simplify it. You know, I mean, I, I made fun of you and I made fun of Sam Via, but Sam does the same thing. Like, it just kind of simplifies uh, uh, how 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 one does it, and and I mean that that's why you know you guys are great are great educators. Yeah, I mean, you guys, yeah, you pave your own way, right? So you're not following the old the old trails because you it leads to the the same destination. So if you're going to create something new and you want a different outcome. Um, you're going to create a new trail or a new path to get to where you want to go. And this is exactly what you did. But before we get into all that, so where did you grow up? Where did I grow up? I grew up in Romania in East Europe. Uh, it's a Latin, Latin country. Um, I was born and raised in a communist country. Um, I got to experience the communist life. Um, until I was 14 when we had the revolution and the president was killed and removed and we became a free country. But I feel like uh, it's important to touch a little bit about my past and uh, and the way I was raised to make sense of how I was turning to the woman, the businesswoman, and how I built the brand that I have today, you know, because uh, I I feel like your parents and the way you are raised have a lot to do with the the woman or the the adult you transform in and how you turn all those dreams into reality eventually when you grow up so like i said i'm coming from romania i am uh i will be 45 this year i uh, grew up under communism until i was 14 um i lived in a very very poor neighborhood because my parents could not afford to to be in a good area and under communists to be honest with you in Romania or communist countries, you are not allowed to actually have a property. Um, the government owns everything and you are not allowed to own a house or an apartment or anything. The only people who actually own something during the communist war, the people, um, we're talking about the elite, the people that were like controlling the country and all that. So I grew up in a, in a very bad neighborhood. Um, I had to fight my way to school and back to school. Um, under the communism, uh, all, all people had to work. They were not allowed to sit home. If you were not working, you would be jailed. And our parents were forced to work in shifts. So that means that our parents were always gone, and we pretty much had to grow up, grow up and take care of ourselves on our own. How many siblings did you have? Um, I am the only child, actually. Wow. I am the only child. Um, I've been put in weekly institutions since I was two years old. My mom would drop me there on Monday and pick me up on Saturdays because that was the only way to to take care of me because she was constantly working. My dad was a truck driver, so he was never home. He would come home only two, three days a month. And even those days, he would be gone. (laughs) So I pretty much grew up in weekly institutions. And as soon as I went on first grade, my mom hanged that key 
um, most of the kids in, in Romania, we would have the keys hang um, on a piece of string um, on our neck. And we would li- literally go to, to school and uh, cook for ourselves and come to school and do homework and do everything on our own until nighttime when our parents would make it home. I got beaten on my way to school and beaten on my way back to school because it was a really bad neighborhood. I had to learn how to look more boyish. I had to learn how to curse. I had to learn how to fight and spit and and fight back to make sure that I'm not getting beaten on my way to school and back. Eventually, when I was 13 years old, we moved in a better neighborhood and it took me almost two to three years to integrate in that better neighborhood because the kids there were raised differently and all I knew was how to fight. So I literally had to learn that life is not actually a fight all the time and you don't have to fight with everyone around you. And um, I had to fight the difference, um, you know, because being born in a a poor neighborhood and having a family that had a modest income, I had to literally survive throughout the, the kids that were more fortunate. And the the way we actually got that apartment in a better better area was the only way you would get an apartment in a better area was if your parents were engineers, doctors, professors. So we're talking about the elite. That was considered the elite back uh, in Romania in in our times. Uh, But there was a possibility for you to get an apartment in a better area if you did community hours, anywhere from, uh, I would say, I think 3,000 to 4,000 hours in community service. Were you were you that kid like when you went into that elite area? Were you the kid that the other parents were like, "Yeah, don't hang out with that kid. That kid's bad. <laughs> that kid's a bad kid." Uh, to be honest with you, I never encountered that. I think the the most struggle was me trying to integrate and feel equal to the other people. I never felt like they treated me differently. I felt they treated me differently when uh, whatever I learned in those years growing up came out. I'm talking about anger and uh, being violent and trying to respond with anger to everything. And I think that was the only time when I felt like I was treated differently because it it was scaring them. They were not witnessing anything like that before. But I don't feel like I was treated differently because of my financial situation. Excellent. Yeah, that's 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 tough. Just because we were, we were, you know, as you're telling your story, because it, it, it was taking me back home because I grew up in a pretty rough neighborhood and, and you know, really poor. And, and then I moved to a, kind of a, like a rural country area. And that's where I met Corey. But you described it so well because of the mentality that I grew up in. Um, I didn't realize at the time, but it was you know, you fought and you, and, and you didn't take any crap. And, 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 you know, so parents were like, you know, kind of stay away from that kid, but they weren't saying stay away from me because of who I was is because of what I was doing, you know, how I was responding. And, and you said it so beautifully and, and it just took me back there. And, but thank you for make, <laughs> making sense of it. <laughs> so my mom pretty much uh, raised me on her own with my dad being gone all the time. Um, I uh, I was supposed to have a sibling that you uh, asked uh, that in the beginning, but my sister died when she was one and a half. Mm-hmm. My mom was an epileptic, so she was actually not allowed to have kids. She had my daughter. She lost it after she lost. Oh, I'm sorry, my daughter, my, my sister, after she lost my sister, the doctors told her that if she's getting pregnant again, they will force her to have an abortion because she is not capable to take care of a, a, a child. 
So she, uh, she got pregnant with me. She had her pregnancy until she was seven months old. Um, when she was seven months old and she was sure that they will not be able to force her into abortion, she went to the hospital and they kept her in the hospital by force until she was nine months old. And they told her she will not survive and I will not survive either. Both of us survived. I made it through my childhood. I made it in a better neighborhood. I made it through communism where we would wake up at two o'clock in the morning and we would go and sit in lines at the grocery stores that open at six o'clock. But the only way for you to actually be able to get any food, it would be if you actually went and stayed on in, in line around two, three o'clock in the morning to be there by six when they open the doors to make sure that the food is not gone, you know. And uh, we would get um, two eggs per person per week, half of a, a bread per person per week, and uh, a liter of milk for the whole family. And this would go on every week. We would go and sit in lines to get those two eggs and half of a bread. And uh, of course, we had the black market where the restaurants were selling food, you know, on the back doors, and you needed to build connection and bribe people in order to get some food on your table because. The food was not there. Wow. And uh, I survived communism. I, we moved into that uh, better neighborhood. Eventually, I got to get a little bit educated on how to um, act around people. Um, and uh, when I was 14, communism went down and we became a free country. And we kind of got an idea about what happens outside of our borders. Because when we were under communism, we did not have any... Um, access to any information about what's going on. We pretty much were so isolated that as kids, we thought that Romania is actually the only country in the world until we actually made it to school and we learned that there are other countries in the world. We only had one TV station uh, that was running only two or three hours per day. And those two, two three hours a, uh, per day were actually about the president and all the good things that he did for the country. <laughs> we would get one movie on Saturdays. Uh, we would wait the whole week for that movie. And most of the movies would be Bollywood movies because nobody was kissing in those movies or Western movies because, again, nobody was kissing in those movies. And we would like probably only one or two people uh, on the block would have a TV station. So everyone from the block would actually gather either in our house or other neighbor's house, and we would watch that movie on Saturdays, the whole street. It was that, that, that big of a deal to see a movie. And we would get cartoons at noon uh, uh, at Saturdays, and it would be a five-minute cartoons that we were like dreaming and waiting for it for a whole week. Oh, my and, God. Um, why I wanted I wanted to get to this is because when uh, before we moved from that bad neighborhood, I remember it was spring, and in uh, front of our block we had a field uh, that was blooming in spring with dandelions, and I remember myself um, every spring sitting in that dandelion uh, field and putting wish after wish to get out of that neighborhood, and eventually my wish transitioned to how I can get out of the country because two of my family members illegally um, crossed the borders and immigrated in the United States. And they started to send pictures with, with America. And uh, that kid started to dream about crossing the border illegally and eventually made it in America. So every spring I would sit in that field of dandelions and I will blow into them and I would tell myself one day, 
I'm going to make it to America and I will become rich and famous. (laughs) (laughs) That's incredible. (laughs) And uh, the communists went down when I was 14. So eventually I did make make it to America and I did not have to cross the the border illegally. I actually came here with the lottery visa. I, I got my green card and everything like a week after I made it here. And uh, years and years later, I came here when I was 30 years old. I made that wish um, coming true. And the logo, you probably guys see that dandelion on my logo and everyone on my website. That's actually the reason that's part of my uh, my watermark and my logo uh, brand. It's because a lot of those wishes that I put in that dandelion field um, eventually uh, came true. That is beautiful. Wow. What a great story. Did um did were you able to reconnect with your family members that came here? Uh, oh, absolutely. That, when I immigrated in states, when I was thirty, I actually um, went to Sacramento, where three of my uh, dead uh, brothers immigrated back in the eighties. So we came we came to Sacramento because we knew we have some family there. So in in case we need some directions or help, we have someone there. Did um did, so you immigrated with your mom? No, I actually immigrated with my daughter and my husband. My daughter was one and a half when we came here. I, I We came with a small suitcase, $300 in our pocket, no knowledge of English. None of our education was recognized. So we pretty much had to start from zero. Well, you did, so when you came at 30, you didn't speak English? Uh, to be honest with you, I did my first foreign language was in fifth grade and it was English, but I always learned as much as I needed to pass the class. I was like, who needs English? Although that was my dream to make it to America one day, but I never put the heart and soul in it. And I actually did English in college too. But again, I just learned a little bit just to pass the class. That was all that mattered back then. And then I came here and all I knew what to say was, hi, my name is Lala and I love popcorn. (laughs) (laughs) whoa that's your because your english is so clear now i'm just i'm surprised that you didn't pick it up when you were 30 i thought i thought for sure you were like a lifelong english speaker well i've been here for 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 15 years actually so it it would be about time for me to to be able to not necessarily be fluent in english that's but to be able to you know carry a conversation and do a podcast. And do a podcast, exactly. <laughs> and, and, and teach on a stage somewhere or something so people can understand you. That's incredible, man. That so when you went when you uh, were going through the process of like your visa and stuff like that, what was that process like? The process is very long and very expensive, very, very expensive for someone who lives in in, in Romania. And when I left the, the country, the minimum income in Romania was around, I would say, probably $200 per person per month. And uh, we're talking about prices being the same level that we have it in the United States. So your income, monthly income is $200, but the prices are like here. Oh, wow. So I would say, I think all the whole process of actually getting the visa, because in order to get the visa, you have to first to go through an interview. Then you have to go back and uh, run a lot of medical tests. And it's like a, a full range of medical tests to prove that you're completely healthy in order to make it to the United States. Then you need to prove that you have an income or someone that will support you when you make it here and you're not being a burden for the, the government. And you also have to go through a lot of, like, I think it was like a few months process for us to actually get the visa. And then you have to go through another interview and more money. 
I think the whole thing cost us like at least $2,000. Now, wow. again, talking about someone whose minimum income per month is $200. Yeah, I mean, that's 10 months of income for one person just to just to start the process. So, Lala, I want to take you back to that day that I don't know how you got it, whether it's a phone call or a letter or something, when you cracked it open and it said that your visa was approved. What did that feel like? Well, to be honest with you, I always wanted to, like I said, I always wanted to come to States and I proposed that to my husband back then. And he, he had a very good job. He was a, a dental technician and he was making around $2,000 a month, which was huge in Romania compared to, to the income that the regular people had. So mm-hmm. he didn't really have a reason to leave the country. And I didn't really, I can't say that I left the country because of the financial, because I, we were doing really well compared to the rest of the people. Um, But it was always my dream to get out of of Romania. I always wanted to make it here. And when I proposed that to him, he said, "Uh, no. So I went and applied for both of us. (laughs) There were two chances. And, uh, and a year later, I got, um, I was cleaning the magazines under uh, our coffee table. Uh, We were living with our uh, parents-in-law back then, and um, they saw the envelope and they just put it on top of the um, magazines and then more magazines stacked on top of that envelope. And I think two or three months later, I was cleaning the the magazines and I find that envelope and I open it and I, and it says that my husband won the lottery visa. (laughs) So uh, that's how we made it in the United States with me uh, completing two applications and praying and hoping for the best and almost missing that because if I would have just took that stack of magazines and throw it away, we probably would have never made it to the United States. But I am not a quitter. So probably I would have applied over and over again until I made it here. (laughs) But how did, so so you're like, he's like, no, you applied for him. He wins it. How how did you approach him with, hey, honey, that's what you want. Uh, it was uh, it was a fight to to make it here. Like I said, he didn't want it to make it here, but um, I am a determined woman, and everything I put my mind to it, <laughs> I get it. Wow. So we made it. We made it here in two thousand and six. Like I said, uh, my English was very poor. None of my education was recognized. Um, I did psychology and art in Romania before I um, decided to come and immigrate in the states. A lot of my uh, friends and family that um, came here before they told me, "Lala, you should be prepared and have a plan B," because a lot of the education from Europe is not recognized there. So you definitely should have a plan B if you want to make a living when you get there. So I went and did. Um, cosmetology in Romania and assisted someone for nine months before I actually made it into States just as a plan B. I never thought that I would actually become a hairdresser. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to, to make sure that I have a plan B when I get here. Um, we made it here exactly when the economy went down and we had that depression. So uh, there were no jobs, no nothing. My uh, husband back then um, ended up working in construction because he couldn't get a job as a dental uh, technician. And I ended up getting a job as a property manager. <laughs> I don't even know how I got that job, to be honest with you. <laughs> I think I just looked really sexy and I had a very deep cleavage that day. I think that's how I got the job. <laughs> and, the, you know, the, 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 the boss was in a rush. So he interviewed me like, and he put me like the basic questions. What your name is? What, where are you coming from? And like basic questions. What that is I was this? What is, you were a property manager. And you didn't even speak English. 
Exactly. And I got the job. And that's when the fun began. Like, oh, let me answer this phone call, but I don't know any English. Oh, let me fix your problem on the tenants living on the property, but I don't understand the shit that you're saying. <laughs> Like, can you uh, transfer me to the U.S., please? Uh, you are. <laughs> so it was, it was fun. I mean, I would have to listen in the morning. I would go to the office and listen to voicemails, and I would put, like, that voicemail on repeat for at least 100 times and write down every word and then put the words together and try to, to figure out what the sentence says or what the tenant says. And then I had to give instructions to... Um, a maintenance guy that was Romanian as well and was not speaking any English either. Oh my so if, I had a few fun years in the beginning. I could not, um, I took a job as a property manager and I was making $240 per month working full time because the apartment was part of my salary. Obviously, there is no way you can live in $240. And soon after we made it here, um, the economy went down and even that construction job for my husband was not working anymore. So he was home for almost two years and there was me just making $240. So I started to take clients in my kitchen after um, office hours. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Had- before we get there, before we get there. So your husband who had like a respectable, like white collar kind of job in Romania had to come here and like work, you know, like construction, construction work is hard work. So yes. what did what, what did that, I mean, what kind of pressure did that put on the marriage? Did that put on you? Because, you know, he didn't want to be here in the first place. And now I, I would imagine that he kind of felt like he was forced into this life that he didn't necessarily love. To be honest with you, he never complained. And eventually he learned to love that job and the freedom of it. And he actually got to to the point where he told me a few years later that he would never actually go and work as a dental technician again because he felt like he was in a lab rat or something like that. Wow. So it worked out eventually. We're not married anymore, but it worked out. <laughs> oh, I guess that's part of the story later on. So you started taking clients in your kitchen? I started to take clients in my kitchen because I was, like I said, I was only making $240 a month and that was not enough to feed three people, you know, and pay bills. And um, I I had to keep my daughter with me in the office because I could not afford to pay a babysitter. And uh, two years later, in 2008, I was sick and tired to live from, you know, a paycheck to another. I mean, I can't even say that I was living from a paycheck to another. I will be honest with you. I had days when I had nothing to eat. I would have like two eggs or two potatoes left and I would put it in front of my daughter and my husband and I would tell them I ate already. And I would have like two, three days with no food. And uh, in order to survive, I actually had to take a third job. On weekends, I was going to senior houses, either giving days off or doing hair or nails for them. And I was making a little bit of extra money. And I was actually looking forward to those Saturdays and Sundays when I was going to the senior houses, because that's when I had an opportunity to eat. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Are you in Sacramento at this time? No, I moved to Florida two years ago. No, no, no. When, when this, during this oh, story. I was in Sacramento. Yes, I was in Sacramento back then. Uh, and I'm the type of person that is not asking help to anyone. And um, my family was um, helped us a lot in the beginning, but we felt like they are not responsible for us, you know. So I never actually reached out for help. I was like working really hard to meet my ends and hoped for the best. And um, I did that for actually 
two years. And in 2008, I decided to go and do cosmetology again because my license from Romania was not recognized. Um, my husband told me that it's, it's, it's not a good idea, that no one will be able to take care of my daughter, that what is going to happen with our job, that that's giving a, a, a roof above our heads. And I said, you know what, I'm not going to quit my job. I'm just going to go to school um, in the afternoon. And that's what I did. I would be in the office from eight to four with my daughter every day. I would drop her home at four o'clock and I would go to school from four to 12 every day, except Sundays. Um, and I would go to school and I would have three to four clients on the floor after I already ate work eight hours in an office with my baby in my arms. Mm -hmm. And because I did not know any English, it was very, very hard for me. Um, we would have a one hour of theory every day and we would have a written test every day, second day from that theory because I didn't understand English. I couldn't get any notes in the class. So actually, I would be in the office the second day with my baby, which was um, 40 years old back then. Tried to keep a four-year-old in a, in a box for eight hours and do your job and try to study for your test. So because I couldn't take any, any uh, notes in the class, I actually had to read that chapter in the office every day while I was at work. And because I didn't understand much English, I had to do the same thing that I did with the voicemails for work. I would have to take one sentence out of the chapter, take each word out and look for it in the dictionary, put the words together and try to figure out what the sentence says. And then go to the next one and the next one and the next one while I was trying to respond to emails, do budgets, monthly reports, weekly reports, take care of, the of a toddler and study for the test that I had at four o'clock. I made it through school. I was one of the top students in school. I was not very loved because nobody could understand how a student that doesn't uh, speak much English um, gets only A's. Uh, not a lot of my professors loved me. I have few who loved me and helped me, but um, it was a constant struggle with me and we had to use sign language and they had to explain to me over and over again until I would get it. And despite that, I was still one of the top students in school. I graduated in 2009 and went straight into renting a chair in a salon. Big, big, huge mistake. I thought if I went to school in Romania, if I assisted someone there, and I've been through one year of school in the United States, I know my shit, I'm the best, and I can make money. I actually sat on that chair for years and paid it off with my credit cards, and I never actually built enough clientele to make a living off of here only. And I got myself into 40000 dollars debt trying to pay for a chair that I was not using for years. Wow. That, I mean, that's a story in itself, and especially for, for young people, uh, you know, make sure that, uh, you know, you kind of understand what you're getting yourself into, you know, before you, you, you can make a leap or make sure you have that clientele. So you said you were there for years, but what, I mean, you know, you said you built up $40,000 worth of debt, but at what point did you know, hey, I need to change this up in order to, you know, continue? Because a lot of times people might drop out or quit because if they, they can't make a, you know, uh, a, a lifestyle out of it, you know what I mean? And it's not working. You have a family. Some people look for a different direction, but you, I mean, you're, you talk about perseverance. I mean, my hat literally is off to you. You're an amazing, amazing example of what hard work and determination is but at what point in, in, by written that chair did you say you know what i need to pivot i need to shift um 
I, in 2014, it was July of 2014, and I was um, sitting with my uh, daughter in the in in the salon waiting for walk-ins. And the salon that I rented a chair in, it was not really a walk-in area. It was mostly like appointment only. And I was sitting there and like counting all the bills that I have to pay and all the debt that I got myself into it. And I was looking at my daughter and uh, it was 2014. So from 2006 to 2014, all those years, I worked three jobs nonstop with no days off, no weekends off, no vacation, because I couldn't afford to go anywhere further than San Francisco, which was like an hour and a half away from Sacramento. And I was looking at my daughter and uh, I felt, I felt so guilty uh, thinking that my kid actually grew up in the places that I worked, that she never had a normal childhood where she would be put in bed at noon, where she would go to the park in the afternoons and play with the kids. And every time we would go out and she would point to something, my answer was always no. And I was so tired and so frustrated and so hopeless that I, 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 I ran in the back room and I asked one of my colleagues to take care of my daughter. And I was literally, uh, I'm sorry. That's okay. Take your time. And I just sat there in the back room and I cry out to God and I said, God, since I know myself, I have to fight for everything, for everything. And you see, I'm not, I'm not lazy. I'm not taking advantage of anyone or anything. I'm really trying really hard to make a living and offer this kid a better life. And so far, regardless of how hard I tried, I was not able to offer that to her. And uh, whew, I told my story so many times, I don't know why I'm crying. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, I wouldn't deal with God back then. And I said this to him. I was looking up and I said this to him. Listen to me. Okay? I'm making a deal with you today. If you help me make a living off of hair only, and you help me quit the other jobs, and be able to spend quality time with my daughter, and be able to take her places and offer those things to her that she should have, and my answer will be yes to her from now on and not a no. I promise you that every person that will sit in my chair will know how you turn my life around. And that was July of July of 2014. In August of 2015, one of my color clients, because I was a color correction specialist and cut specialist, I did not know anything about abuse back then. I didn't even know how to do a freaking a French braid back then. I knew nothing about upstyling. And she said, Lala, I'm getting married and I do not want anyone else to do my hair. I want you to do my hair. And I said, hon, I'm not the right person for that. I don't know anything about upstyling. Uh, and she was like, Lala, you are the only person that I trust. I know I only want some curls pinned up. And I'm like, oh, okay, I know how to curl and pin. That, that shouldn't be hard. We did a trial. She loved it. On the day of the wedding, she comes to me with a picture with a French uh, chignon that looked wonderful and clean and I had no idea how to do that and uh she talked me into it and she convinced me that I can actually do it big huge mistake never ever let your clients talk you into something <laughs> that is out of your comfort zone okay unless you're trying to grow grow or learn something out of that <laughs> uh, 
to make the story short, it was a disaster. I ended up having to to wash her hair in the bathtub because I back then I didn't know anything about upstyling, and I used a bottle of Stronghold hairspray. And it looked like I showed some socks in there and I put her hair on top of it. And when she saw herself, she was like, oh, hell no. Just put some curls in there. Let's go. I have to be in church in 45 minutes. Well, she was two hours late for her wedding. Her makeup was completely messed up. Her family almost killed me. Thank God I understand Spanish. And I started to pray and I said, God, if you get me out of here alive, I promise you, I will sleep with renting apartments and I will never, ever, ever do hair again. I got out of there alive. I don't know if the, the wedding still went on. I was absolutely devastated. Uh, Cancel all my appointments for the next two weeks. And I gave a notice to my salon owner. And I said, I'm quitting on hair. And uh, a week later, I went and bought a mannequin doll. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to learn how to do that freaking French chignon if it's the death of me. And if she ever comes back to my chair, I will be able to offer that um, service to her um i went back to the salon i lost half of my clientele which i didn't have much and um i started to play with my mannequin doll in august after that failure just trying to to get better of something that was totally out of my comfort zone um my cousin happened to live on the same property with me and she was spending a lot of hours at my house so she would let me play with her hair and um all kind of styles were coming out of my hands that I had no idea where is that coming from because we were not learning anything in school about upstyling other than how to set the rollers and how to curl hair, right? And then in, um, in September, I'm sorry, in October of that year, so July, I had that breakdown. In August, I had that failure with the wedding. And in October, my boss is inviting me to, to lunch and she's telling me that she wants me me to become her right hand in the management and business company and eventually we can talk even about about a partnership so this was an, a, an amazing amazing opportunity for me to la, make la, la, hold on, hold on. so when you said that your that your boss came to you you're talking about your boss at the hair salon so so i'm talking after- about my bo- boss at the business and management renting apartments because i was got still it. having that job got it got it okay got it. yeah and I go to lunch with her and I say no to that opportunity, if you can't believe that. I was like literally living from a check to another. I was uh, really deep in debt and I said no to such an amazing opportunity. And uh, she said, why, Lala? You want to work for a few hundred dollars every month? You don't want to build a career? You don't want to be do better? You don't want to offer a better future to your kid? And I said, yes. But eventually I fell in love with hair and I feel like that's my calling. I don't want to do a career in businesses and management. That's not, that's not, I was really good at it because I'm a very disciplined person and very organized, but it was not my passion. And she said, okay, what are you doing to build your clientele and make a living off of here? And I told her that I have a Facebook page that eventually if it grows in three, four, three, four years, I would be able to make a living off of here. And my 50-something years old uh, boss uh, that was the CEO of a big company that had nothing to do with hair, she told me, Lala, you have to open an Instagram account. That's the future. And I said, Instagram is for teenagers. I don't know anything about Instagram. I don't even know what a hashtag is. I don't know how to use that. That's out of my comfort zone. I don't want any Instagram accounts. And she said, Lala you need to open an Instagram account. And she took my phone. She opened an Instagram account for me. 
She showed me how to hashtag, what a hashtag means. She took some pictures off of my phone and she posted them on my Instagram. Those pictures like this, in a matter of weeks, I got a few thousand followers in a matter of weeks. And then I get a, a visit from my boss a few weeks later and she says this to me. She sits down with me in the office and she, she says this to me. Lala, mark my words. Three years from now, you will be, you will be very successful and worldwide known. This was my boss that had nothing to do with hair. And that's how my story in the bridal industry started with that failure wow. at that wedding and my boss offering me a better position and actually supporting my dreams and helping me and guiding me and direct me, directing me in the right direction. And I opened that, um, she opened that Instagram account for me on October, the end of October of 2014. By two, by the end of December, I was already at 13,000 followers wow. in only three months. And by the end of December, I got a phone call from a salon owner in Stockton asking me to go and teach her team bridal styling. Wow. Now, this is three months in me playing with my, my cousins here, having no idea what I'm doing having no knowledge about upstyling products, tools, anything about upstyling. It was literally just a hobby and discovering this creativity in me that I never knew I had, right? And I'm telling the salon owner, um, I, I think you got the wrong number. She's like, aren't, aren't you all of subdues? I'm like, yeah, but you know, that's just a hobby. I'm like, I'm not an educator. And she insists and she tells me she's going to pay me a hundred bucks per person. I'm like, holy shit, I am not making that much money in a month. And she wants me, she wants to pay me. And I'm like, how many people do you have? And she's like, seven people, you know? So that would be $700. And I'm like, she wants to pay me $700 for three hours? So I'm saying no, without even thinking about the consequences of that. Yes, right? I'm saying yes. And I'm like, and then I'm like, what did I do? I'm not an educator. English is still my second language and it's not very good. I have no knowledge about tools, products, anything. I have never been an educator in my life. And I'm going to go and sit in front of people who specialize into this. And I'm teaching them bridal hair when I'm not even a bridal stylist. What did I got myself into? I make it there, threw up three times on my way to Stockton. I make it inside, try to convince Iris. I'm talking about Glam Iris from Stockton and I'm trying to convince her that I'm not feeling well and she has to cancel the class. Let me go throw up two more times before the class starts because instead of seven people, I have 47 people waiting for me. 47? Wow. 47 people waiting for me. I hope she paid you a hundred per 47. She paid me well. Let's <laughs> say I had a very good experience. I don't know how I made it through that. Oh, and I asked in the beginning of the class, how many of you here are bridal stylists? And almost half of them were bridal stylists. 27 people's hands. And I'm like, oh, yeah, no, no pressure. Half of those people are doing bridal hair on a daily basis. And here I am having no idea what I'm doing here, <laughs> teaching them bridal styling. Oh. I posted about it. And as soon as I posted about it, I think in the, in the next two weeks, I got over 30 or 40 emails from people around the country that wanted to host my class. And I'm like, what the heck did oh just happen? 
Lila, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna slow you down a little bit because I want to fit everything in those 45 minutes. <laughs> no, 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 we're good, man. We're good. We're good. We're good. Hey, listen. So, you know, a, a couple minutes ago, you you said that you had a uh, you had a breakdown conversation with God, and and then you know, moving forward, God kept delivering, kept delivering, kept delivering, and 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 you were resistant every step of the way. You know, that's true. Yeah. You know, you were you every time that you know God said, "Hey, here it is." You were like, "Whoa, not yet, not yet." But 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 he had a he he had a better plan for you because yeah, it was like, "Oh, you want to tell people about me? How about I give you a, be- a bigger platform where where you can touch hundreds of thousands of a time instead of a one at a time in your chair?" He definitely kept his his side of the promise, and he still delivers for me every day, and I'm I'm just so grateful. So are you, uh, are you only telling your daughter? Yes. I am. Yeah. I turned from a no mom to a yes mom. And, um, I am not having any guilt when it comes to the way I raised my daughter. And I'll tell you why, uh, two years ago or three years ago, we went to, um, American influencers awards. I made it through the, um, finalists, uh, the nominees. And, um, I remember that after the show, we had a big party and my daughter was, and my husband was there with me and we got to meet all the good people. And she was so excited to be there because we, there were a lot of people from the beauty industry as well, not just the hair industry. We're, we're talking about makeup uh, artists that she was looking up to. And I was introducing her to everyone. And I would be like, I turned around and I wanted to say, hi, this is my daughter, Debbie. And before I even had a chance to say anything, she, uh, she did this to the people in front of her. And uh, she said, hi, I'm Lala Sabri's daughter. She did not say, hi, I'm Debbie. I'm Lala's daughter. She said, hi, I'm Lala Sabri's daughter. And I remember like literally getting out of breath, hearing my daughter introducing herself as Lala Sabri's daughter. And that moment I realized, you know what? I actually raised a good kid. And even though she was not at the park with the kids in the afternoon and she was not in bed at noon and she didn't get all the toys and the clothes that she wanted when she was younger, she was with me actually all the time. She spent quality time with me, even if I was at work, we were always together. And what she saw all those years growing up was her mother chasing for her dreams and not taking no for an answer and not letting circumstances dictate what she can do or what she cannot do in her life, you know? And that moment I realized I actually, I did it well, regardless of how guilty I felt in, in, in the past. If my kid is introducing herself as Lala Sabji's daughter, that's all I needed to know. Well, she was, so, well, she saw the struggle, you know, like, like, you know, anybody that follows you on Instagram, you know, and, and, and not just you, but when we follow people on Instagram, we kind of see like this, this whole, this total package, right? But, but what we don't see is we don't see all the struggles, all the failures, all the hard times that created that package. And, and your daughter was there, not only was your daughter there, but by introducing herself, she also said, mom, I'm proud of you. You know, you've done this mom, right? And, and, and just by her acknowledging that, that, you know, she's your daughter. She's not a daughter, but she's your daughter. And that's pretty incredible. What a, what a, what a, a role model for her to have though. What, a, what, what footsteps in front of her to follow? I mean, that's an, such an amazing story and, and you overcome so much. And then for her to see you take on all these obstacles and challenges and, and not allow it to hold you back or stop you. I mean, you can't, that's, she, firsthand witness this and that's you know 
you can't buy a class. You cannot buy a mentor uh, to to be able to instill this into your child. And you, I mean, she, like I said before, I'm a I'm a huge fan more so now than ever. My, you have my total utmost respect, and I'm just so moved by your story. Thank you, Tom. Yeah, definitely. Uh, did um, I say Tom? Did I just right. okay. Tom, Tony, it's all good. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Half the time he's Corey and half the time I'm Tony, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> right, yeah. It's okay. Wow, yeah. that's, that's, what an incredible, incredible story. So so, so, when did you start honing this, like, you know, okay, you, everybody wants me to teach a class. I have no clue what I'm doing, but I got to put it together. I actually didn't realize what I'm doing until almost a year later. Um, I mean, I had my first class in uh, in uh, Stockton and that salon in December of 2015. Um, I'm sorry, to the end of 2014, only three uh, three months after I opened that Instagram account. And uh, next year in March, I get a phone call. I don't know if you guys are familiar with um, David and Alexis from Butterfly Loft Salon in LA. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, came yeah. up with the butterfly circus so i get a, an email from david asking me um telling me that they want to come up with this new form of education where we have a class but we don't have just one um a stylist you know teaching we have several others teaching and you learn, get to learn everything from inspirational social media to obtuse barbering and, and color and all that and um i was pretty shocked to be to be honest with you, because I was like on Instagram only for a few months now, and still people did not know back then who Lala Subdues is. So to get that that offer from someone uh, with a new form of education that is just coming up on the market, I assumed that they would call just the big names to make this successful, right? And they called me to be part of it, and I said yes to it because they <laughs> told me... <laughs> They told me how much I'm going to get paid for 30 minutes of my time. And when I heard that, I automatically said yes without putting out any other questions. And then an email followed where I found out about the lineup. And the lineup was Jenny, the confession of a hairstylist, was uh, Jay Wesley Olson, was Larissa Dahl, was uh, Nina from Fashion Square. So yeah, no no pressure. You know, all these big names, <laughs> very known in the industry for years. And there is Lala. I'm like, what the heck was in my mind <laughs> when I said yes to this? And I make it to LA with my cousin. I'm taking my cousin because she was the only one that I knew how to control the hair. I've never worked on anyone else's hair, right? In June, June of 2015, I'm going there, prepare for the Butterfly Circus. No pressure about all those big names that everyone known, and I. Nobody knows who I am. Um, <laughs> I make it there um, I, uh, an hour earlier because we had to mingle with people, and I was never ever good at that because of the language barrier. So no pressure there either. And I have all this crowd of people going to everyone and talking and mingling, and I'm sitting in one corner wondering again, what the heck am I doing here? <laughs> nobody knows who I am. I have no idea if I'm going to make it through this. I have never teaching such a big crowd in front of a big audience like this. Not to mention the pressure of being around those people who are very known in the hair industry. I'm throwing up again, almost thinking <laughs> to talk to David to, to cancel my and tell people that I'm not feeling well. 
I run to the restroom like three times. The third time I run to the restroom, someone is knocking on the door. And I told them, please use the other restroom. I am not feeling well. And I hear Larissa on the other side of the, the, uh, the door. Han, it's Larissa, please open the door. I'm like, please use the other restroom. I'm not feeling well. I'm here for you. Please open the door. So I open the door and she looks at me and she's like, Han, what's going on? I did not, I, I mean, I knew who this girl is, but we never had any personal relationship or any connection or anything. She did not know me. I did not know her. And she said, what's, what's wrong? But she knew I'm part of the lineup. And I'm, told, I'm telling her, I don't know what I'm doing here. I don't know why I said yes to this, like crying and trying to clean my vomit. <laughs> And she, uh, she's cleaning my face and she's trying to fix my makeup and she grabs my, uh, my shoulders and she's shaking me and she looks in my eyes and she says this, Lala, nobody knows you're not an educator. Nobody knows that you're not a bridal stylist. What people know is that you do beautiful work and that's why David invited you here. If you feel like you have nothing to offer to these people, they're going to feel it and you will not get any respect from them, okay? Nobody here knows who you are. This is your time to shine and sh show them who they are. Your career, and this is, these are her, her words, your career can start today or finish before it even, it even started. What's your, what's your choice? I was like, that's not what I want to hear, Lala. Do you want to have a career in here or not? And I said, I, I think so. She was like, okay, then all you have to do is keep your shit together for 30 minutes. And that 30 minutes can bring you up or down. She put a Xanax pill in my mouth. She helped me drink it. And she said, I will see you in 48 minutes at your uh, time slot. Mm -hmm. And I was left in that restroom with just swallowing a Xanax and her words going through my mind. You only have to keep your shit together for 30 minutes. You only have to keep your shit together for 30 minutes. This 30 minutes can decide your career today. And that's how I went up. And I was the only one from that lineup who got a standing ovation for five years, five minutes. Wow. And that's how my career started. Lala, listen, like, believe it or not, that, that, that's incredible. Um, I, Listen, we're in an hour, Lala. We just oh, my. We, we just killed an hour. Hey, we have to bring you back for the second part of the story. And and I don't think that there's a better place to end it than than a pep talk a pep talk from Larissa. That's that's just amazing. And like Larissa, thank you so much because you know you you brought us Lala in a weird way, right? <laughs> she ah. is pretty much the one who who helped me decide what I want to do that day. If I'm gonna let that fear take me down or I'm going to use it to, to bring me up. Boom. Well, we should, we, we definitely got to bring her in for part two, maybe like a Thursday, like a 30 minute release to talk about this from, from that point on to now. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm, I I'm totally time, sucked in. I, I felt it was important to share my background with you guys to understand how I made it where I'm at today. Lala, listen, dude, that that was that was one of the richest stories and 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 incredible. I mean, I know, I know, I know the three of us sat and cried for a little bit together. So, you know, it, it's 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 a very deep, rich story, and and you should share it with the world because 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 that's amazing. I mean, I am in the process of writing my my life story. My life story is so much more than what I shared with you guys. 
Well, we can't we can't wait to read it, talk about it, see it, what, what whatever we need to do. Lala, so you know, as we dump out here, how can people find you, or you know, how do they get in touch with you? You know, if they want to do a class for forty seven people, <laughs> they can reach me directly through Instagram, Facebook, Pinterest, YouTube. On all of those, I'm Lala Subdues, or they can shoot me an email at Lala Subdues uh, at yahoo.com. It's literally just Lala Sabdus everywhere. And if you Google it, it's going to be easy to find without sounding cocky. <laughs> no, that's it. It is what it is, man. Google is what it is, right? That's awesome. <laughs> Lala, once again, thank you for spending time with us, um, hanging out with us. Thank you so much for being vulnerable and sharing that just incredible story. Um, I can't, I, I can't, I, I, the fact that we're shutting it off right now is killing me. Like, like I want to keep going, but, but, you know, we're, we're kind of at that time. Lala, thank you so much. Thanks for hanging out with us. And thank you for joining us on your day off. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, hey, so there it is. Hey, this is a message that um, we've been trying to bring, I don't know, for the last couple of months, actually since we started the podcast. Hey, so if you like the podcast or if you find that it's useful, please, please, please leave us a review, a five-star review on iTunes. Um, leave us a rating and a review. But if you don't like it, forget about it. <laughs> yeah, totally forget about this message. We also want to thank Sarah and Blaine from Pretty Gritty. Uh, Sarah and Blaine, they are a band out of uh, Portland, Oregon, and we just want to thank them very much for allowing us to use their song, Pleased to Meet You, on our podcast. Um, that's cool. I think you can find, actually you can, you can find their music on, um, on iTunes. Peace and hair grease. <laughs>